everybody. It's Thursday. So we have my friend Lon Harris back to talk about the three big shows, The Dropout, We Crashed, and Super Pumped. Lon, it's going to be an amazing episode. You're going to tell us what to think of these shows, and it will be very spoiler heavy. So uh, stick with us. It's going to be an amazing episode. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And Broker's Startup Insurance Plan helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at embrokered.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. And Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Okay, everybody, welcome to Thursdays here at This Week in Startups. And we've started a new tradition since there are so many TV shows about tech startups that we thought we would just do our own version of uh, recapping them. With me is Molly Wood, of course, my co-host here at This Week in Startups, and my pal, Lon Harris, who writes the inside.com slash streaming newsletter. He's a writer for Screen Junkies, and he's the host of Binge Boys. Welcome back to the program, Lon Harris. Thanks for having me, Jason. Great to be that's great to have you. you did a great job last week we were going to talk just oh, for like 20 you. minutes about these tv shows and sure. of course <laughs> it, it winds up being like an hour so <laughs> we've got a lot to say listen and a segment winds up being an hour and a recurring weekly yeah well, as we, it should be it should be and we now have three shows that are on at this very moment the same time this feels like i went back in te- 10 years ago to this very podcast when I was, we were talking, Lon, about WeWork, uh, Uber, sure, and, yeah. and of course, Theranos. Yeah. So is it, let me just start with a simple question for you, Lon. Are these shows coming too soon after the oh, events that happened? Mm. I mean, I think that, you know, there's always a balance. Like there, there are those stories where you've got a ticking clock. The, the, the level of interest is only going to last so long. And if you don't strike while the iron's hot. You're Joe versus Carol. I mean, I think of that as the the cautionary tale. Peacock has that Tiger King scripted series right now with John Cameron Mitchell and Kate McKinnon, and nobody cares because Tiger King's mm. over. They they miss their they miss their Got cultural it. moment. So I think yeah. everybody's in that like you don't want to be the Adam McKay Theranos project, which is still in development now because well we're all we're all in on the dropout. Maybe that's going to be it for people's interest in this story. And now you're late. So, you know, I think uh, you might be right that we're we're fresh on the heels of a lot of this. And we don't know maybe necessarily what all these stories are going to come to represent to us down the road, but you don't want to wait too long and risk people just losing interest in WeWork and Adam Newman as a story. And then they're like, Oh, I don't care about this. I've heard about this. Yeah. Timing really is everything here. I mean, the Uber, that's the farthest in the past, right? Like in terms of the, is it in terms of the CEO? I think so, ousting? in terms of timing, yeah. So maybe in terms of timing, yeah, 2008, 2009. Yeah, I uh, feel like all of these were kind of living in the late aughts and the early teens. And, and we'll talk about We Crash. That to me feels like it's kind of a whole rush of 
2010 nostalgia. Like, I feel like we haven't gotten a lot of cultural. It's so recent. We haven't gotten a lot of cultural 2010 nostalgia. But there's a scene in We Crash where they're like, they're at a silent disco and they're dancing to Naked and Famous and M83. And just Ashen the way it every- comes on at one point. I yeah. Think. And everybody's dressed in like rave gear. And, and like, it's like, oh, my God, this is this is the first time I've seen them really recreate. This was 2010 the in a time, show. Yeah. Which is to me too soon. Like- <laughs> right. It feels weird to see recreations what? of the recent past but especially i think as you get older and time compresses it feels yeah. more that way what, what is the what has it been traditionally are there other business or you know crime kind of shows come to mind what is the normal overhang for them i'm curious because this is with in a couple of years oh, of the ending it, of the story because well, we're talking about a year or be, two after if you think back to the tv movie era it was like yeah. fresh on the heels you know like amy yeah. fisher would happen and then the next year every network has the amy fisher ah, movie right so we're mm-hmm. almost like peak tv is taking more time and like but they just make, did the oj trial and the monica Lewinsky story right yeah, uh, Ryan Murphy does those nostalgia ones yeah. where it's like the which i enjoyed both i'll be totally honest i thought both of those were entertaining to watch as a somebody from the 80s i don't know if did you guys catch those i love that oj simpson oj simpson that, one yeah that one is was the one incredible. that i heard the yeah. most about yeah right. yeah so let's get I also, into it i love that one too where they kind of they use oj as the jumping off point but it was really like that whole moment in like tabloid and celebrity culture yes. and how that directly led into the modern era in like so many ways it was really fascinating like even like this was the birth of the Kardashians. Like this mm. was when we first heard that name and who these yes. people were like all these different threads of like, this is where 2020 or 2015 media started. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a really amazing show for just the, the other thing that we talked about this on the last episode, uh, last Thursday, you can look it up. We talked about just these incredible actors and all of these shows have, you know, great uh, actors across the board i don't know about great performances because obviously i think material direction and editing impacts performance correct lon oh of course i mean it's all it's all you know it's all layered on top of one another you're just trying to pick things apart but it's all it's a group project i mean and it's even an amazing actor with a bad script Can, can an amazing actor with a bad script or a you know bad direction still make something that is compelling or is it just kind of very hard? It's hard. I mean, yeah. I think that we've definitely seen great performances in subpar projects or people who are giving 110% when maybe the material didn't call. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great example I always think back of that's popular among nerd culture is, you remember that 80s Masters of the Universe He-Man movie with Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> yeah, terrible. I think I do. This <laughs> is not a good movie. But uh, Frank maybe. Langella as Skeletor he is playing it like this is Shakespeare, like he's doing Lear in the park. Right. He's not, he's not acting. And I mean, even more, I don't think this is a terrible movie, but even in that, that Spider-Man movie last year, Willem Dafoe is not showing up to be in a Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. He's right. showing up with the same seriousness of purpose he had playing Van Gogh or playing in Florida Project or like, it's just, a, it's acting. It's to Shakespeare him, so. in the park. I mean, literally. Yeah. yeah. He's you know, he, does the same, he actually does the same thing in Aquaman too. Like yeah. he just brings all he's, this gravitas to Aquaman and you're like, and like, 
that Brian guy. Cox too. You'll see Brian Cox show up in like a silly thing or in a horror movie, and like he it just happened act- for me. Brian Cox showed up, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" And yeah. did you read his autobiography? I haven't read the whole thing. I read those those excerpts that they oh, published. Just listen to the audio book. He reads the audio book. Of course, yeah. It is phenomenal, and it's literally three <laughs> percent about secession and ninety-seven percent about theater in the sixties, seventies, eighties. I mean, he's had movies this long... into the nineties, and, and and just the uh, the stage acting in yeah. the UK, unbelievable. People forget Let's... how often they saw him in the in like the nineties in films because he wasn't a household Man name Hunter, yet. Right? Yeah, the well, original like, lector, crushing he's that the, guy. He's the uncle who adopts uh, young William Wallace and raises him in Braveheart, but like people don't remember that, like. Where they're like, he's got to teach him Latin, and he, you know, like, that's Brian Cox, but he wasn't famous yet, so uh. he's so good. And did you ever see Manhunter, Molly? The uh, no. Okay, so there was before um, Silence of the Lambs, they did Manhunter, and it oh, right. is mm-hmm. the Michael. most amazing. I think it's for me the the best, or you know, tied for best uh, yeah. Hannibal Lecter. Well, it's, it's director Michael Mann, and it's, it's Michael the same Mann. Book. They redid it. It's Red Dragon, the novel. So Brett, right. Brett Ratner remade the movie years later with Ed Norton, but this was the original version with William and Peterson. It's so and Brian good. Cox. So good. Okay. There is all your uh, <laughs> preamble. <laughs> that took 10 minutes Gotta just for us to get warmed up. I mean, this is why Spin-off we are living in the I'm age of streaming. We really it wasn't are, Michael Mann's first movie. I saw that in the comments. I believe Michael Mann had already made a few films in Miami Vice. He was already yes. coming off of Miami Vice. Right. I mean, right. the washed out scenes of, you know, the detectives and what a, just an incredible cast. Uh, if you haven't seen Manhunter, there's my that's my gift to you. Listen, when you start scaling quickly, your company needs to be run professionally, and Odoo is the software that helps you maintain control of your fast-running business. Odoo's suite of business apps lets you run your entire company on one platform. This means you don't need to keep adding a bunch of different SaaS products and paying for them and logins and data. Everything you need is already in Odoo. All you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 apps from their open source community. You know, stuff like sales, accounting, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. Plus, if you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, well, that's all you're going to pay for. Again, Odoo helps you streamline by running all your business apps on one platform. No more issues transferring data back and forth, and you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps, not 20. So everything's going to run easier, and it's going to be more affordable. Your first app, always free. And Odoo is offering right now a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. Well done, Odoo. Just go to odoo.com slash twist to get that $1,000 off. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. I love these $1,000 offers. Well done, Odoo. All right, there's three shows. (laughs) I want to start with a classic F. Mary Kill. Yep. Um, we have Recrashed, we have The Dropout, and we have Super Pumped. Who are we going to kill? Molly? Uh, I mean, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise. I'm going to kill Super Pumped. Same for me, Lon. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, Super Pump feels the most overblown and kind of cartoonish to me. And it, it also, it's the one that's about startups exclusively in that world instead of being more about the people and the characters mm. and the world and, and the you know the the personalities and i'm more interested in that stuff so of course yeah yeah so uh, i think now it comes to i guess which one are we going to f or marry i don't know how to play this game we say bop 
in my family when yeah, my niece is around. Is we say Mary Both Kill. Okay, let's do that. So is it Both Mary? Both. Boff yeah. or Mary. Um, now we're down to Boff or Mary. Right. So Mary is the one you really love, and Boff is the one ah, you're kind of like can, you're enjoying it, but yeah. you could take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm I gonna. Know, I mean, this is tough because this I really is harder I than I thought it was. Gonna I be, yeah. polygamy. I'm marrying both. I'm gonna marry <laughs> I think both. Both of these are pretty strong. <laughs> I'm gonna live an alternative, yeah. open lifestyle. Polyamory is the jam right I'm now. I'm going polyamory. So, yeah. I'm marrying both. That's it. There's, there's I'm trying to think bed. of the, the, the one that I might stop watching given like if we, if I knew we weren't going to talk about this again. I can't stop watching either. It's it's just too hard for no, me. No, I'm going to I'm going to see both of these through to the end now. I'm 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 hooked in enough to want to watch them. Watch, watch. I, if I, you I, could I only watch one. Super Punk 2, but I'm definitely going to finish these two. I might want to going back to I Super feel Punk. like if I were going to stop watching one cuz I am a little ruthless about TV. I'm sort of surprised to say that it now might be the dropout hmm. it could just because it's farther along in the story right that's yeah. all the way up to five episodes farther right. along in the story now i know how it's going to play out we've had a big emotion you know like the thing and yeah, she, yeah she's had her spoil it transformation completely. yeah she's all the way transformed it might be like a little less interesting to see the kind of the crash right. from here, but WeWork is still building and yeah. also the two of them together. Are so, like, it's just so compelling. I think uh, one of the re the rewatchableness of the shows is also a factor in the marrying, if I'm yes. correct. So yeah. if it is rewatchable, which one is more rewatchable? For me, I'm mm. thinking, I, I mean, this is a hard one too, because I am so drawn to the Balwani character yeah. with Elizabeth Holmes. Like he started to really come into his own. And I, but you know, Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway, I feel like I'm going to watch We Work again someday. We crash. I don't know. This is too, we crash rather. Mm. Yeah. All right. Let's just get to it. It's right, it, anyway. I, none of us can just talk about them. It's, yeah, but no, it, they're both, it they're tells both you really though, strong. Like, we do have at least one clear answer here, which is super pumped is not watchable long-term. It's just not, it is completely lacking in subtlety in the ways that the other two and its yeah. biggest problem is that these other two came out at the same time to show us how it should be actually done. It is very weird that these all three of these landed in the same month, essentially. Okay. Yeah. It's also uh, super pumped is the one that we know is coming back. That's also it for like both the dropout and we crash purely limited series. They're going to end and that's the end. Super pumped is an anthology. Every season it's going to come back and be the story of a different business you know, rise and fall. So the, the I season two, it. I think it's going to get canceled. They already picked it up. Season two is going to be uh, Zuckerberg and yeah, Sher uh, Sheryl Sandberg. The later and years. They, and what's right, interesting like, about that is yeah. that they essentially seem to have commissioned a book from Mike Isaac on right. this because yes. Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kang, of course, wrote that incredible Facebook book that just came out, whose name I can't remember, but I have it on my Kindle. Mm. Um, that is among other things about that relationship and then mike right. who is their teammate at the new york times has apparently Whoa. already been commissioned to write uh -oh. the same book because so that Showtime he can do wants to Showtime make more show. seasons of this yeah which is fine mm, is it it doesn't sound fine sounds like uh i think the name of that book is an ugly truth inside the ugly truth. Yeah. thank you very much mm -hmm. but that's the so, whole i mean they want to develop these shows from podcasts for that exact reason because they want to like pump multiple they're doing the same thing there's the slate slow burn podcast uh wow. and they've adapted the first season of that as gaslit this new show for stars which is about the watergate scandal yeah 
Uh, yep. And so, but that that's the same thing. Like they're hoping, oh, well, we can make every season of Slow Burn into a, you know, spinoff series. And like, it's and all ben franchising. Doing Everybody wants to franchise. The, the mm-hmm. bag one is being done with Ben Stiller and... Oh, Rachel Maddow. Oh, Rachel, Rachel Maddow. Maddow. Yeah, yeah, So Rachel yeah. Maddow is taking some sort of yeah. a, a break to, to go do, do this, this with Ben Stiller. Okay, so let's get started. Lido Hathaway. This is the easiest place to start for sure. Uh, and we have three episodes. We have not talked about the show yet. Well, Nick is, I mean, Nick is doing what my son did right now, by the way, which is be like, I can't believe you called him Leto. It is Leto. Leto. Yeah, I'm sorry. Jared Leto. And I was my like, uh, did everybody know this to that extent? He was so adamant about it. But no, apparently we're like, all supposed to know Duke, it's Leto. Duke Leto is Dune. Jared Leto is Leto. Leto. I knew that. Anyway. Sorry, I'm just a little tired. All right. Leto. So where do we start with this? I mean, I watched these after the first episode, I literally took out my checkbook. I wrote Adam Newman's <laughs> next company in the line and I put a million dollars and I just left the date field open and signed it. And I just p- put it on my poster board because I was like, I, I'm, and I'm not joking. I mean, watching his relentlessness to make something out of nothing to me was, I mean, I fell in love <laughs> with Adam Newman. I, I literally want to throw money at him. I like so totally thought when he first started talking and he shows up and he's so made up and he's got the accent and I was like, this is going to be another cartoon and it's just going to be cringe or a ding dong. Yeah. And I did what I always did when I'm trying to avoid full attention. I pulled out my knitting. I was like, <laughs> and then five minutes later, I put it down. I was like, what's that guy selling? It yeah. is phenomenal. And as it goes on, I feel like in that first episode, I actually felt the like startup thrill. Mm-hmm. You know, as they're built, like, I was just like, I had goosebumps. I was all excited about it. I am completely buying these characters. <laughs> like Anne, Cath- Anne Hathaway's character is just, I mean, they're both. She's sort of more awful than he actually ends up seeming. He doesn't even seem that awful. I don't, I'm totally with you. Like, I'm just like, I'm buying what these people are selling. Mm-hmm. They're doing it. They're phenomenal performances. Yeah, I think Jared Leto, he gets a lot of, he, he gets a lot of crap. And I think that he's often miscast or, or misused like that, that Gucci movie. I don't, I don't know what to, I don't even know what to make of what he's doing. It's, it's a, it's a crazy performance. He's doing this wild accent. It doesn't seem remotely realistic. Uh, but when he's like well used and put in the right role, he can be really terrific. And I think that's, that is this. Like the voice does take a little bit of getting used to, but. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's fantastic at this, and it's the he's the right guy for this role. He can channel that that manic energy, that passion, that enthusiasm, that sort of like it. It, it doesn't seem he doesn't seem crazy, but he seems like this guy's working on on these levels that I can't even get to. We just got like a force of nature, and I think mm-hmm. he's really effective at coming in. And you have to believe the actor when everybody else is reacting like, "Well, this guy's a force of nature. Just let him do it." You have to believe that from the performance. And I think he sells it that, oh, everybody around this guy would believe in him and would give them his, their money and let him go. Which means we have to talk about Anne Hathaway next. She gives, I, I, I don't know if this is the best, I don't know her whole uh, career, but th- this to me seems like a peak performance for her. The character, the character Rebecca Newman is layered, interesting bitter but also wants power and kooky like i feel like i've met this person before in my life (laughs) yeah 
But I could also see people not liking this performance because it could seem stereotypical of a wacky yoga person. What did you think of Rebecca Newman over this three episode arc? I mean, you live in Los Angeles, you meet a lot of variations of this person. And I'm like, you could, you could tell, I think that it's a pretty lived in natural performance because right away I was reminded of the people that I knew who were like, like, Oh, I get exactly what type of person Rebecca at that point, Rebecca Paltrow. I didn't know that by the way, before this show, I had read up enough on WeWork to know about the Mm. Paltrow family. Oh, I knew about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's a, that's a fun thing that they, that they play around with a lot that uh, Rebecca Newman's father is Bob Paltrow, the brother of Bruce Paltrow, who is the father of uh, actress Gwyneth. So it's her cousin. Her first and cousin, yeah. And and like that, they play that, I don't know if this is realistic or not, but they play this as this has been a thing her whole life, and she's felt like she's in the shadow of this international superstar. Gwyneth because Paltrow. she's also an actor uh, and wants to be right, an actor. Or wants wanted to be, to be an actor. Mm, and that, oh, you know, uh, it's always going to naturally, like even when she tells her father she wants to be an actor, goes, oh, like Gwenny, you know? <laughs> it's just yeah. like, well, so immediately going to be compared to, uh, at that point, already Oscar winner Gwyneth Paltrow, because she won for Shakespeare in Love back in the 90s. Yes. I mean, I thought that this, when I saw the previews that seemed to rely heavily on their relationship and like what kind of person she was and does she have any depth and what are her goals and dreams and her crying about it and stuff. I, again, I, I, I keep going back to like, I thought this was going to be a caricature of both of them yeah. because I think I think of both of them as caricatures in the real world. And now the show has come along and made them these very big characters, right? It's not trying to tone them down in the slightest, but it's made them big and also real. Yeah. And I think that's really an accomplishment. It's a really hard needle to thread that it it does it. We crash. They've got the craziest antics. Like you could, I think you could argue Elizabeth Holmes may be the largest fraud, but it's hard to make the case that that story is just a zanier bigger scale story than we work and oh, so yeah. they had all this material and yet they managed to still find the the humanity in it and not only from adam and rebecca there's a great sequence right at the end of the the third episode summer camp yes. uh, of we crash where you're just following a lot of that story you follow from the head of comms it's yes. it's, it's that whole that's it's like a bottle episode it's all happening at this event and there's this journalist there and all of these sort of scandalous things are happening that the journalist is writing about. They keep telling the director of comms, you got to take care of this. And then by the end of the episode, we've sort of been following it from her perspective. And it's, it's a, it's a dialogue free scene, but just of her leaving and getting into a lift and taking off from the summer camp. And it's really potent how they sort of drive that home. They do it. They do it as well from the perspective of like a young, we work employee. I don't even think you learn her name, but you're just like track enough of her POV through the weeks or months that she's working there to get yep. a sense of all these different perspectives. And it's, it's really well done. It's and they clever. do, they find mm-hmm. the, the real human stories underneath all this craziness that was happening. All right, I want to quickly explain to you one crucial type of insurance that every startup needs to have and you need to know about it. It's called cyber insurance. And obviously this covers hacks, which are happening constantly. You may not hear about them all the time because people like to keep them quiet and resolve them well. In these crazy times, you need to be protected and you need to have cyber insurance. If you don't have business insurance, let's face it, you failed one of the first steps of being a proper CEO and founder, especially of a company backed by investors. So 
Startups should look no further than our friends over at Imbroker. They have technology to save you time and money. Their prices are up to 20% lower and they'll give you better coverage than the incumbents. You go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. And when you work with Imbroker instead of those slow incumbents, you're not dealing with these large lumbering corporations. Nope. Your sign up takes days, not weeks, and the process is completely transparent. There's no opaque pricing, there's no wasted time. It's just easy peasy lemon squeezy. So, to instantly buy custom built insurance for your startup, go to imbroker.com slash twist. And while you're there, you're gonna get an extra 10% off by using the offer code twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist, and get that extra 10% off by using the offer code twist and that lets them know you, you listen to them on the show. All right, great job, Imbroker. I thought that was a very powerful moment too as well. This young woman comes, it's ostensibly her first job or, you know, she's very early in her career. Right. And all of a sudden she's indoctrinated to doing shots constantly. And then she's got a romantic relationship at work and they're having sex in the closet and it's called the something closet. I can't remember. <laughs> the F closet. Yeah. The F closet. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're just like, we're calling it the boff closet. We're going to the, the boff closet. closet. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, that's going to stick. And, you know, of course, this comes to a head with, you know, millennials and uh, Rebecca basically saying she's dedicated and women should be dedicated to their husbands and be the women behind the men. And her, you know, character now becomes an equally driving force in this story, which I think is absolutely the case that she was an integral part of WeWork because Adam Newman is driven because of this woman's love, uh, pressure, mentorship, whatever weird deranged thing they have going on in that marriage. And it hearkened back to a, another film, which I want to see if Lon can guess, mm. where a mercurial guy wants to create something in the world and there is a woman behind him who is kind of whispering in his ear uh and it's a paul thomas anderson film oh okay i i thought you were just playing directly into macbeth there no, no. <laughs> which would uh, be it, it, you remember amy adams oh sure in the master i in you're the thinking master? of the master yes with her and lawrence dodd and and you know how she's kind of the brains behind this what was Philip Seymour sort of Hoffman's amazing yeah. performance of essentially L. Ron Hubbard. They don't say it explicitly because I guess they didn't want to get sued. But well, that's, that's even... P.T. Anderson's thing. He does it in Licorice Pizza, too. There's a lot. Of, he calls him Jack Holden, but it's supposed to be William Holden. Ah, so in this, in The Master, you know, she is driving him to create Scientology. And it's their marriage and sex and drive. And there's even the scene in We Were. I don't want to get graphic here, but it's a little much that scene. There's a scene where she's like, you're the guy, you're the guy, tell me you're the guy. And she's kind of performing an act and sexual act and he, trying to get him pumped up. And like, it's like, whoa, yeah. that's exact same scene is in the master. Do you remember yeah, that Lon? I do. I do. And, and did they not, when, when a writer does something like that, number one, how do they know that that existed? That must be something that was made by the writers. Because uh, yeah, that was an intimate that, moment that between the two of them. That feels like a detail that you would just add in as a writer. There's no way you, you know, nobody was in the room with Pretty them sure at the time to know that book. was happening. Nick, Nick can confirm, but I don't think that was in the book. Yeah, no, so I'm that's like, how would they ever a, know that moment? It feels like a very writerly it's a, detail. That's a dramatization you, situation. Because you're kind of trying yeah. to, like, how do you express that? That's like an abstract kind of idea to try to get across in your writing that, like, this guy, you know, like, 
she yeah. is kind of the power behind this. Like he's, she's speaking through him in some ways. And it's always because of, you know, as a woman, she probably couldn't raise this kind of money or she might not have felt like she was in a position to start her own company. And so she's sort they of make doing clear this work with her. through him. And yes. but how do you show that? You, you know, like how right. do you in a scene pack that into drama? Yeah, that's, exactly, like, well, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was, I was thinking the writers were doing. But does a writer know that people who've seen the master are going to put those two things together and it's an Easter egg? Or do you think they wrote it as like an I, inside I, reference or they just didn't know? How could you not know? Oh, no, writers I, don't, are, I don't think I think whoever wrote that episode of We Crash has probably seen the master. And that's not there. That, that's a trope. Right. I mean, I think we've seen that in okay. other uh, a, a woman sort of getting what she wants or motivating or, or getting her message across to a man by using sexuality is not. Right. Lim that's how PTA didn't come up with that. Yeah, so I think that, I think that, you know, that's a, that's a trope that it just, it gets filtered through in a lot of different ways. And I think, yeah, like if you want to show that, well, you know, she's in some ways maybe a little smarter than him or at least savvier than much him. And savvier, she knows, much smarter. And she knows how right. to like get this guy to do what she wants or she knows how to like work him. Mm -hmm. And that's one of her strategies. She's like a Shvengali in the same way. Shvengali. Oh, Shvengali, like what's his name is, um, Balwani is in, well, or he yes. starts as. Yes, that's the, I mean, right. And I was going to draw yeah. that same comparison, yeah. though, because both Balwani and Rebecca are portrayed as people who are sort of without their own direction. Mm. You know, right. Benga, uh, Balwani is like, he's rich, but he doesn't really have a job. And he's sort of like always trying to like get in on what she's doing. And then Rebecca like wants to be an actress and has that sort of emotional scene where she's like, I can't go back to being nothing because turns out yoga is not my thing and, she, and they're both sort of like seekers who find their direction in what their partner's doing but also become manipulators of that direction which is kind of interesting comparison yeah i mean know, i think that's not a only gender roles it's a right. no it's not and, and i mean i think that's kind of a thread that runs through a lot of these sh all three of these shows really is like the founders in some ways inspire all these people or get what they want out of all these people because they they see themselves they're always reflecting people back at them. They want to see themselves in these, you know, like I'm part of this person, this exciting project or like, yes. uh, you know, like, and so I think that, yeah, that's definitely at, in play for both Rebecca Newman and Sonny Balwani and a lot of these other characters, how they feel about these companies is often how they feel about these founders or their relationship with the founder. Right. And neither of them are uh, normal. In their own right, either Balwani or Rebecca Newman, you know, it's like no, it's because they've obviously got yeah. their own yeah. massive issues, but it is they yeah. do a good job of giving them a little bit. I feel like Balwani is out of nuance by episode five of the dropout. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm sort of like, OK, like I know where this is going to go and like it's yeah. fine. Whereas I think Rebecca Newman actually still has it in WeWork, which, again, did not expect based on the stories about I just didn't expect either of them to be such complex characters based on the bonkersness of the stories about them. Ultimately, when you look at the business of at, or the the entrepreneur, Adam Newman, it's really the perfect case of what gets you here does not get you there. The first stage of a, of a company, when I was looking at it through the eyes of, you know, a CEO founder myself, and also a capital allocator and watching, you know, 300 investments go through some versions of these things. He's that perfect first stage manifests something from nothing. And when he gets green desk up and running and he convinces people 
to, you know, um, you know, you're gonna, he has that scene where he's convincing the first person to buy a desk. And he's like, you're gonna, you're gonna meet your partner here, you're gonna do this here, you're gonna do shots here, you're gonna drink, you're gonna meet your wife here. That kind of manic energy to just manifest something in the world. And his salesmanship is amazing. But then you see that he never shifts gear. And we're only three episodes into it. But by the time summer camp happens, and I remember when summer camp happened, I had multiple people tell me in the industry, like, oh, my God, they basically ran, you know, a drug filled, insane, sex filled version of Burning Man in upstate New York. And mm. people were like, it was awesome. But it was like part of the company. So it was a little bit weird. So I was getting all these reports back back then. And what gets you to, you know, raise that first round to get that product market fit that raw energy, enthusiasm, blind faith in your ability. Well, then you have to shift gears. And that's when you have to be like, you know what, we probably shouldn't be drinking at work. And maybe we should pay people more. And maybe we should bring in some adults to run the place. Instead of just having a bunch of kids here, and you have to have some professional management, because once you get to the first second location, mm, you, you, you got big, big uh, problems. You can't be running a there's no there's no world in which you can have a corporate version of Burning Man. It does not exist. <laughs> no. Listen, when you're a founder, it's fun to trade your craziest stories with other founders. Recently, Balloon CEO Amanda Greenberg, one of Lunch's awesome portfolio founders, told me how Vanta's SOC 2 solution helped her save an important deal in the final hours. Balloon, if you don't know, sells SaaS productivity and collaboration software. And when they needed 10 documents in place within 48 hours to close a very important SaaS deal, well, Vanta saved the day by supplying customizable templates and helping them through the process to close. So if you don't have your sock too tight, you can't close these major customers and Vanta's gonna really help you get that done so quickly and so easily. Vanta's compliance software makes it easy to get and renew your sock too. They continuously test against technical and non-technical sock two requirements and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file sock two reports directly within Vanta. And on average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And guess what? Vanta's going to give you $1,000 off right now. So get the $1,000 off at Vanta.com slash twist. Once again, Vanta, V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist for $1,000 off your SOC 2. I mean, I think what, one thing I think that's interesting about these three shows, looking at them together, uh, super pumped it's kind of critique of tk and and uber and how he ran it was like it was so aggressive and he was yes. he had this war type posture and he was really like bending the rules or breaking the rules to go after his competitors reinterpreting uh, is right, what we the, like to the, use the other two <laughs> we crashed a dropout their critiques are really more like these founders didn't really understand the nuts and bolts of what they were doing they were the idea people. They were right. the sales people. And then once the rubber really hit the road, they were totally reliant on these people they brought in who actually knew what to do to make the company. And I think that I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that's necessarily all true, but it's kind of an interesting, like they're all kind of condemning their founders in some ways, but it's a very mm. different critique. Like we crashed, obviously, is this notion of Newman is this brilliant salesman, you know, this like Jordan Belfort esque put him in front of people and he'll sell them whatever right like genius at it but 
otherwise he you know he doesn't really get how to put the wallpaper up or how that we need the desks to go here and the bathrooms mm-hmm. to go there like that was all coming from miguel and all these other people around him and uh you know i think that it's an interesting thing that runs through the whole kind of it's an interesting question shows. too when you you know you bring up the idea of capital allocators like certainly all every question that i ever got asked as a reporter and now even i did a cbs thing you know, since joining launch about the Theranos trial, where they're like, what does this say about Silicon Valley and its relationship with founders? I mean, that those are the eternal questions that come yeah. up as a result of these stories, which is, you know, not surprising. Um, but also it does make you wonder, like, sh- should there be, should this change our lens at La, 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 not listening. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not listening to this. Because I also change anything. am pretty sure I would have given Adam Newman money and maybe of still course. wouldn't. I'm shocked to even say that because the show sold the concept of we work better than like the stories ever did. I literally was talking to one of the yeah, principals um, in one of these yesterday. Oh. Uh, and I, I would say, which show or which principal? <laughs> Leave it up to the imagination, but I know people at all of these uh, who were investors at all of them. Uh, and he said to me, uh, when I told him, like, you know, uh, my, one of my observations, this person said to me, like, yeah, that's exactly accurate. And then we got into a discussion of governance. Right. And what happened here that people don't know is there was a collective moment 10 years ago in which governance in our industry. So to your point, Molly, should something change? Something did change. We went from VCs having too much power where they could just fire somebody. And Mm -hmm. they tell this in super pumped, right? They're going to remove you, you're going to lose your company. They tell it with uh, Balwani, Ian Gibbons, I think is the name of the scientist. Yeah, he was the chemist. Yeah. yeah, And they start saying it there where like, uh, and then the William H. Macy character says it over and over again, they're going to remove you. Yeah. So there was this fear in the 2000s that you would get removed. Where did that come from? CEOs would get removed. And then Founders Fund was formed as the antithesis of Sequoia and other firms that we were going to be the founder-friendly firm. And they literally Mm. put it in the name. People don't know this backstory. That's where Founders Fund came from. And Founders Fund was founded by Sean Parker, who was at a company called Plaxo. Plaxo famously, he had, you know, uh, Sean Parker was a unique character in all the world. He's a friend of mine. And they uh, ousted him, I believe, uh, from Plaxo. And I believe that was Sequoia. And there was this whole back and forth, Founders Fund Sequoia, were in this big beef 20 years ago about this very issue. And then super voting shares started to become prevalent. And Facebook was one of the first to get them. And that's why Zuckerberg is in control of that company. Who was the original investor in Facebook? Peter Peter Thiel. Who was backed by Sequoia. Sequoia backed uh, Peter Thiel for PayPal. So all of this goes back to that origin story. So when Mm -hmm. they do the anthology, Mike Isaac will take this video like he took my (laughs) interview with TK, (laughs) redo it and sell it. It's fine with me. I don't care. Uh, But so what you're saying is the thing that changed is that the Adam Newman's and Elizabeth Holmes's and uh, TK's of the world got more power to just run rampant. Basically, the super. boards yeah, were there's ceremonial. There's no Anthony Edwards to come in and be well, like, get um, out of here. Super <laughs> pumped about that. <laughs> the boards became Ayo. ceremonial yeah. as opposed to fiduciaries. Yeah. What is the point of a board meeting to discuss buying Instagram or WhatsApp if Zuckerberg just did it unilaterally? In both of those cases, he just informed the boards he was doing this. You know, Peter Thiel on the board of Facebook, 
Mark Andreessen, they literally have no say in anything. If they vote, he just goes, okay, great. Your votes count as like one one thousandth of mine. So who cares what you say? Hmm. They became ceremonial. And that's what we're seeing in this moment over the last 10 years is founders may be uh, having too much control. And what happens when a founder who has no experience like Elizabeth Holmes or is unqualified to run an at-scale operational business like Adam Newman or is super aggressive and wants to win very badly and is highly effective, TK? We're looking at those three different scenarios of founders. They're not the same founder. Yeah. You know, like two yeah. of them are unqualified. One of them's hyperqualified, you know, and, 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 but this is what happens when there's no reins or checks and balances. And that's what, you know, we've talked about a lot on VC Sunday School, Molly. It's like, why do these boards exist and mm-hmm. what is good at governance? And I'm sure we'll talk about it more in relation to all this, but this is why governance is becoming more important, especially when people put a lot of money behind people with less experience. It is really interesting, though, because what you're describing is that we we had these experiences with these three founders. Yep. And many more people were harmed or people lost a lot of money or, you know, businesses had to change dramatically. Or made a lot of money. And that our response or or both. Right. All those things are true all at the same time. And so making a lot of money is excusing a lot of these sins. But. But what you're saying is like now we're in a situation where it where as that was happening, then founders got a whole bunch more power. So probably it's just going to happen all over again. <laughs> well, that was, I mean, I would say that was peak on some level. That Facebook, was peak right? giving away of power. Yeah. And now I think what we'll see is That's some return weird, to normalcy. Right, I think we'll see the pendulum so, yeah. kind of maybe go back to the middle a little bit. And maybe mm-hmm. it will forever. It will never be as crazy as it was with VCs being able to just boost founders who own 5 or 10%. And yeah. founders felt like they were, you know, there at the uh, behest of whatever the VCs wanted. But I don't think it's going to be founders can do whatever they want and the board is ceremonial. So we'll start to right. see a little is bit this, of that. Is this crypto right. and Web3 next? I mean, in 2028, are we, are we watching the shows about like the board ape rise and fall? And sure. like that's that's what's coming down the road. Yeah, yeah and those probably. will be a hundred times more insane because those people Definitely will all be going Vegas party blowout sequences. No, it'd be, be more big, like money you know? laundering and yes, you know, people from terrorist organizations or organized crime. <laughs> yeah. Oh, buying these things, good. flipping stuff. It's, you know, it's going to be start developing Chinese some government, ideas, yeah. Russian government money, dark money pools mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of gnarly stuff. Because when you run mm-hmm. money as the operating system with these things and it's dark money, you know, all kinds of, uh, a whole nother level of things happens that doesn't yeah. exist here. We've that NFT waiting. series is going to have to go to Showtime. You're not even going to be able to put that picked on regular this TV. Up. Somebody picked up a version of this, I thought, with that Silk Road book that Nick Bilton yeah, that's the only option. Yeah. yeah, well, that you could right. I, I I could see that like the early, you know, like the dark web stuff and like how that yeah. that sort of yeah. That's all. That's its own kind of story. I I just feel like to me this feels like yeah the current era of tech that's going to inspire the shows in 10 years is all going to be 100%. in the crypto space. And then that's yeah. going to be, that is going to fall into the super pumped category of storytelling where it's a little bit tricky because it, it probably won't be that. I mean, there are some personalities here. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like AirPods, AirPods. Well, <laughs> AirPods. Um, oh, we got to wrap on the dropout. Let's couple. wrap on the, Let's episode, wrap on the dropout. episode five, right. Flower of Life. Uh, with the, I'll just read the description. With the Walgreens deadline looming, Elizabeth and Sunny scramble to find solutions to their technology failures. Ian is drawn into Elizabeth's lawsuit against Richard. Felt like another great episode to me. I was riveted by the whole thing. 
What did you guys think? Yeah, I think Stephen Fry gets his. I think obviously uh, Amanda Seyfried, fantastic, killing it. Watching her sort of development over the course of the series, I also feel like Stephen Fry is doing incredible work here. Probably, a, I feel like he's getting his supporting actor Emmy nod for, for this. Locked. I mean, he's uh, got to. He has yeah, absolutely got to. Yeah, he this, was I really think, fantastic. It felt to me like this episode is like the emotional climax. I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen it. For anybody who's listening now, and I'm going to give a little warning at the top of the show, spoiler heavy, we're going to talk about everything when we do these. So you can save the show and come back to it after you watch the episode. But yes, you can talk about everything. Okay. All right. Uh, Well, it is the emotional climax. And it is the part where like uh, some avoidance comes in because you know, if you are familiar with this story, you know that this person died in real life. He kills himself. Yeah. He kills himself. And the show... You know, more even than like the books have danced around it. The Some of the legal cases have danced around it. I, the show like draws a one to one like yes. Theranos killed this guy. And the pressure of the lawsuit intense. Yeah. Knowing that well, he would either have if he testified, Theranos would come after him for violating his his NDA. But if he didn't, he would be perjuring himself. You know, he felt like he was completely trapped in this yeah. sort of situation. And I don't think he was trapped in the situation when I was thinking through it, I was like, I don't think this is the end of his career if he testified against them, because he would be forced to do so. And I think he would find another job. So I felt that was a little unbelievable and a bit of a construct. And that's why I think like, maybe we don't know exactly what happened. And maybe the show is making a jump that maybe the reason other people weren't willing to make the jump of the one to one Molly, that Elizabeth killed him by these lawsuits is because they don't actually know and that maybe the person did have an alcohol problem. It's unclear, but the show makes it one-to-one cause and effect. If not for these lawsuits, which are based upon Elizabeth lying on the patents, he would not have felt the pressure and they build it up. Yeah, and to be clear, that's all I'm like, I was surprised at the degree to which the show was like, this is the deal. Like this is the progression, and right. it's incontrovertible. They're, they're making it a narrative. Like this they're is making over it a narrative. Time, this is what drove him to this point. Exactly. Yeah. And then at that point, I think because it's the emotional climax, and this happens, and they have made this narrative so plain. This is also the episode in which all of your sympathy, all of your sense of nuance that you might have built up about Sonny and Elizabeth, is like gone. Yes. It's gone. Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, yeah, I think we got that that scene of her sort of transitioning fully into the dark side, where she adopts the 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 voice that we're all familiar with, uh, and she, you know, she makes this formal decision to we're going to break apart the Siemens machine and yes. we're going to figure out how that works and basically steal their technology to fake right. our technology. Uh, and so I think once we cleared that hurdle, yeah, that that's it. Now the the the, the transition is over and we're fully into being uh you know being a fraud uh mm-hmm. so yeah, we, yeah the, which is exactly by the way from my understanding of it and i've had john carrie on this program early on uh, and the john carrie wall street journal um uh investigative journalist shows up in this episode and he's great as well and i thought that was played perfectly i'm not sure by who but it was very well done and that is really i think that the next part of this is the unraveling of it so right. this is kind of the peak of elizabeth's story in terms of turning to the dark side uh, Balwani being kind of her, um, the emperor in this kind of pushing her along to do this, uh, where it's like, I already broke the machine open. I did it already. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. you're halfway there. Thanks Ebon, for the permission. I, the permission, you know, yeah. appreciate yeah. your fraud. I, I do think one thing that's interesting that they're doing very specifically, the show is they're, they're showing her like how 
like how influenced, how, how malleable Elizabeth Holmes was and how easily manipulated she was by older people in her life that she looked up to. Not only Sonny, but there's that that crucial scene the with parents. her mom mm-hmm. uh, yes. where she's, what she's would you do? floating the idea of, I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do it. And her mom is like, no, you have you have to. And basically, like, I won't be proud of you anymore if you stop doing this. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting. They keep drawing those parallels to like, she kind of saw that she was going too far, but she was listening to all of these mentors or all of these authority figures or what she saw as authority figures in her life. And there is a way to have, there is a way to see that sympathetically, right? Because you're like, she is sort of pushed around by these people or she, right. what you realize is how freaking young she is. Right. That's, like, yes. and, and I think that's, that's what they're kind of driving home in those exactly, moments. Exactly. Like she's, she's a person just in her early 20s. You know, this is baby. her first real job. Yeah. She didn't even finish, you know, she barely went through any college, any of the part where you just like even have the moment of like moldy dishes in the sink and you're like, oh, wow, I really have to get my shit together. Right. She doesn't have any of that development. Right. She clearly has these parents. And I, this is why I love the, the kind of recurring character of the mom and how awful. <laughs> She is. Yeah, Elizabeth Marvel is the mom and she's really, she's doing a great job. She's doing a great job and you can sort of see why this girl would be like, oh, I I got nothing without the approval of these people. Basically, she floats the idea of leaving the mob. She floats the idea of leaving the Jedi Order or, you know, you know, leaving the galaxy and just, you know, going and being a hermit somewhere. And people are like, no, that's not possible. Balwan is like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, we just quit. Like, no. She's like, literally, basically, like, we should just shut down Theranos, 150 million in. Yeah. I don't know if that actually happened or not, but I thought that was a nice editorial flair or device that she actually looked for a way out. And I was like, you yeah, know what? I'm I mean, in too I, deep. I do think, to Molly's point, I think that's that's an attempt to keep some shred of humanity so we can keep viewing her as, like, she's not a monster. She wasn't out here trying to kill people. Right. She just felt trapped. Like, this kept snowballing, almost like a character in like a film noir. Like you tell yes. one lie, or you double indemnity, you know, you, yeah. you know, one lie turns into two lies. And now all of a sudden you're buried and you have to keep digging yourself in deeper and there's no way out. Yeah, uh, it, it is uh, a fantastic episode, I think. Um, but I'm wondering if this is the peak of the show or not, because it, I guess it's going to end with the trial and the guilty, right? And then they will have absolutely there should be a follow-up to this in five or ten years when we see what happens and then what i'm wondering about with all these anthology shows is the crossover and i realize this has universe (laughs) potential because in we work when the lift shows up to pick her up (laughs) i was like like, okay so now we go to the lift founder (laughs) story and we like cut to like the founding of lift Uh, or like Bill Gurley, you know, and Benchmark were all, well, not Bill Gurley, but Benchmark was also an investor in WeWork. So you could start to see these stories cross over, which is what I think the Brian Koppelman anthology, Mike Isaacson story is going to de- try to do is when yes. they tell the Facebook story, mm-hmm. they could have a meeting. They could have those people show up. I think that's the smart way to do it. They probably will try to have some kind of crossover or keep it they're, consistent. They're, listen, like I'm not trying to be a jerk, but they're going to need new writers if they want to try to achieve the subtlety uh, of just, a multiverse within this Showtime situation. Currently. I just want to see absolutely. Uh, there's a famous story of Adam Newman pitching Elon about we work on Mars. 
And that, if that <laughs> if that makes it into the show, that'll be next level. But what I want to see is Rebecca. I don't Rebecca. know if I've seen the casting note. I don't know if they I cast asked, an Elon. I asked Miguel McKelvey about that, actually. Like, he was giving me the sort of we everywhere pe- pe- pitch. And I said, I was like, you mean like, what, uh, like, I was like, where does this go? We Mars? And he's like, um, actually, we have a picture in the office of like the surface of Mars, which, by the way, side note of when we look at these and it's people that, you know, when we look at these shows in the real world universe, like if Bill Gurley is getting the derpy derp treatment by Super Pumped, poor yeah. Miguel McKelvey has got to be horrified at his portrayal here because he is such a sharp guy. He it really, and it, they nod they to did, this, they did but had a lot him. of these business ideas and he is being portrayed as just like the biggest doofus. Yeah. Just like, it, it, I, I do think that's interesting. He's such like a follower. Like when they first introduced that character, you don't think this is going to be the co-founder of WeWork. It's, it's kind of yeah. just like this doofus that he sort of like keeps yeah. around to do the, the, the hard stuff. Yeah. 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 or menial stuff whatever it right. is yeah it, it right. did not feel on track uh but the quote was uh, adam newman once argued to elon musk <laughs> that getting to mars would be easy but building community there was the hard part <laughs> i mean no, i think getting to mars yeah. is actually the hard part like wow. defeating gravity if they, and if huh? they didn't write that scene in they're going to be kicking themselves because what a fun <laughs> scene to write and shoot like, like, right right i'm lighting a candle that they can figure out yeah, how to get it in already i want to see the dinner party where <sighs> rebecca newman gets sat next to balwani and it's just like <laughs> a dinner party in Silicon Valley with eight people and they just happen to be at the other end of the table and maybe they talk, maybe they don't, but that's my crossover universe. So to whoever's producing, it's Hulu and then who's doing, are they both Hulu? What's we? No, work? Apple. App, we crashed oh, Apple. is app. We're doomed because we have Hulu, yeah. Apple and Showtime. Showtime. Yeah, the they're all, yeah. Everybody, we can fix this. Everybody wants no. to have their own startup show. We can this fix point. this. We yeah. can fix this. I, this is a message this. to Hulu and Apple. You have to, like, Marvel and DC would do every 10 years, like, a little crossover uh, comic book where they'd have, a, you know, different universes collide in a what-if kind of scenario. You have to collide these shows. You have to, because they're so well done. Jared Leto. Yeah. And uh, Amanda Opposite Seyfried. Opposite Amanda Seyfried, like, yeah. I want to see oh that Oh, my scene. Lord, if they Actually, met, really. like, just have them meet at a cocktail party and have a 15-minute conversation, the whole thing would blow up. So Magical. somebody clip this message. And send to whoever's running Apple TV, and then one of you people from CIA or Endeavor CC the it's person. Also, it's so easy to do the post credit scene, you know, like the Nick Fury post credit oh, scene. Yes, Nick Stinger! Where it's like the next VC, and they're in their office, and they're like, we work. Set up a meeting. And then they're like, oh, who was that? You know, everyone like, doesn't guess which, which VC. Was that Benchmark, or was that Sequoia? It's you know? Benchmark just, like, shows up. At, uh, Antonio's Nuthouse, and the Robin Hood guys pitched me as a stinger. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, tell me again what happens with Robin Hood. You you give the trades for free. <laughs> Next scene. Yeah, it was okay, just well, like yeah. Let's end on this. The best scene from each of these two shows up to date, or you know, from the last episodes. The best scene for you. We had the summer camp episode. Okay, be for any of the three, but any of the three we crashed, and then uh, from the dropout, the last episode, number five, the Walgreens episode. What is the best moment or scene for you? I'll kick us off for me in the dropout. The scene where Elizabeth Holmes puts the mask of herself on and they start dancing when they get back to their apartment. Right. Was the most deranged serial killer 
thing I've seen on television in a long time. I was just like, <laughs> keep that woman away from any control or power of anything ever again. Like, do not let her near a steering wheel. Do not let her near like the cockpit of a plane. <laughs> like she will crash whatever you put her in front of. And like that mask was so weird looking that I literally felt like a cold <laughs> chill, like Hannibal yeah. Lecter type moment. What uh, moment do you guys have? There's, Just a great there's a, moment. There's a great opening of one of the episodes of of We Crash. I think it's episode three. I'm pretty sure it's the the, the most recent one. Uh, and it's they're playing. It's it's a uh, MGMT's faded to pretend is the needle drop on the soundtrack. Again, we're in pure early teens nostalgia territory. And it's just that we're following this young woman and, and it's her first days of work. And she's hearing Adam Newman on. They have these uh, TGI Monday parties yes, where they yes. it's Monday because they're celebrating the work week and they're drinking. And, it, and you just cut. And it's it's very cinematic as you're cutting from taking shots. She's making out with dudes in this closet. She's at her desk falling asleep. He's you know, Newman's firing T-shirt cannons. It's really well done, and it, it it is so quickly. And I've been in startup scenarios like that, and and rooms like that in my day, and it really does capture that really frothy early enthusiasm when it feels like. When you it's say working. rooms, do you mean closets or just rooms? <laughs> I mean, like I mean a, a variety, like yeah, <laughs> a variety of spaces, warehouse type open office yeah, spaces. Yeah, let's no, be just clear. leave it at that. <laughs> uh, but like I, I really, it, it really captures it, and, and how quickly this can spiral out Esco, of control if there's that nobody. That was what that scene did. Yes, it showed the escalation. If there's nobody at the helm, and how yes. like if you're just focused on scale and excitement and community, and not any of the responsibility stuff, how this right. spirals so quickly out of control. I thought in one sequence to just pack it all in, and I feel like by the end you kind of get what's wrong with WeWork, so that later right. when Rebecca Newman's in this tent and she's being confronted. It doesn't feel like these complaints are coming out of nowhere to us. We're right. like, oh, of, of course, of course, we've seen how this went. Molly, what you, what's your favorite scene as we wrap? Yeah, I, you know what? I'm a little bummed because I agree. I thought that was so well done in terms of showing the, the, the impact of what he was building. Right. So, like up to that moment, we've had these, and there were a million incredible. I mean, obviously, of course, the scene when he comes in defends her to the yoga teacher, and you're like, that's the moment where he goes from sort of cartoon to badass. Like you see his sort of badass potential in that moment, like, oh, okay, he right. actually is not a joke. He is a person who can be taken seriously and has good business instincts. But I loved the broadening of the story in that exact moment through the eyes of that employee where you're just like, this has an impact on other people. Yes. And now we see the impact on those other people in such a like real visceral and also just cool TV kind of way. Totally yeah. I will that. also add uh, in episode two, uh, Anne Hathaway is called on to do uh, what's got to be a tough thing for a good actor, which is to give a very to bad, bad acting, I acting performance <laughs> in a checkoff play uh, where she's doing this ridiculous Russian accent. And it's been you, it, occasional reminders that Anne Hathaway is actually very funny and became famous she for doing funny, comedies yeah. first before she was famous as a dramatic actor. I mean, that whole hilarious subplot of her getting this movie, you know, this theater director in there promising the space, yeah. flaming out, being humiliated, and then being like, I guess we just won't be able to use the space anymore. It's just sort of a, like, there's just good happening in that show. Well, this yeah. peak narcissism that moment, right? Like, her yes. narcissism comes through along with his, and narcissism, confidence, fake it till you make it, is one of the aspects of startups. That, you know, you, you do have to contend with. Um, 
I, for me, in the, uh, in the we crashed, the best moment or another best moment, because I do think the montage, the, the points you guys point out were great too. But there was a great moment, I think, for Anne Hathaway's character, and I think she's stealing the show, uh, where she's dealing with her dad. And the judge, the judge forces the dad to say, so that makes you a, you did <laughs> yeah. something fraudulent, so you're a, and he's just trying to get this guy who's a total fraud, her father's a fraud, to just say he's a fraud. And then her dad had poured this incredible bottle of wine with her and said, yeah, I bought it at an auction or something. And then she peels back the label of the same bottle of wine. And her dad was even lying to her at that very point in time about the bottle of fine wine he was serving to his daughter. Mm -hmm. That's what a fraud he is, is that he has to be a fraud to his daughter. And then her dad and her husband are both frauds, maybe. Yeah. And her contending with that and her childhood and her trauma, I think, really explained her character in a way that I just did not expect. It was a level of depth to her character that I thought was, in a way, almost beautiful, that you could kind of like have sympathy for her because all she's ever known is a bunch of guys around her who are frauds. And she's somehow reliving her relationship with her dad with Adam. Yeah. And her dad was telling her Adam's a fraud and didn't know what he's doing. And it turns out her dad is the fraud. I didn't see it coming. I mean, the like fragility that she gets out yeah. of this show, because mm -hmm. because there's narcissism and narcissists, sure, they get prickly and crazy when they're challenged, but a lot of times they double down. And there's something about her fragility that is really like, it's really profound. This is a yeah. really good show. Whereas Elizabeth Holmes is, has now evaporated for me. I'm still super interested in Rebecca yeah. and Adam. That actor, uh, Peter Jacobson plays Bob Paltrow uh, in this. He was all, he's been, you've seen him in, he was in House and like, he's, he's in a great character other, actor. Total Americans. And yeah, he's really, he's also really. Love nice. the Americans. So okay, good. listen, we did an hour. Sorry, it was supposed to be 20, but we geeked out. Uh, uh, Lon, listen. you're amazing. Uh, can, can we get Lon a parting gift? Can we send him an ember mug, please? ASAP. Oh, get this kid an ember mug. He's now part of the crew. Uh, and we'll it. see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S, to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. No cool startup? Check out OpenScouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey everybody, producer Rachel here. Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at remotedemoday.com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity. 